Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is from our Unspeakable Love Sermon Series, which is based out of the book of Hosea. It is our hope that this series would help you in your walk with God. Please let us know how God has impacted you through these messages the book of Hosea. Uh, if we had what you call a casual reading of the book of Hosea, a lot of people would probably read through the first three chapters. It would make some sense. But then from chapter four to chapter 14, you're just kind of like, I don't get this. What is going on? We need to understand this, that it was a time in the life of the children of Israel that uh, like the book of Judges, uh, the Bible tells us that during these times, everybody was doing that which was right in their own eyes. People were just kind of living how they wanted to live. And here's what you kind of find with the children of Israel. You kind of find what, we, what I would call a roller coaster Christianity, okay? Now, it wasn't necessarily Christianity because of Christ, but it was roller coaster God following. So here's what they did. We follow God. We're not going to follow God. We're going to follow God. We're not going to follow God. So they're, they're, the, the existence of Israel, it was just up and down, and up, and down, and up, and down. And through all of that, God would send prophets. He would send prophets like Jeremiah, or like Elijah, or like Elisha. He would send prophets to come, and those prophets would declare a message, or they would stand up and say, hey, listen, God is saying this. Here's what you need to know, Israel. And every now and then, God would send a prophet, and he would do what we call an action message. That he would, he would take a prophet, and like he's doing with Hosea, he says, Hosea, I'm going to use you to prophesy or preach a message or tell Israel a message from me, but it's not going to be the normal way of doing it. You see, normally the prophet, like a preacher, would stand up and would just simply say, hear the word of the Lord and then speak. With Hosea, God's saying this, you're not only going to speak the message, but Hosea, I'm actually going to have you live out the message. I'm going to let your life be a message. It's going to be the example. And then through your life and your story, I'm going to teach the children of Israel something incredible. You say, well, what was the story of Hosea? Hosea chapter one tells us that it was, a, it was a time when there really wasn't much open vision, that there wasn't a lot of prophecy going on. And God came to Hosea and God said, Hosea, I've got something I want you to do. And Hosea immediately was like, okay. I mean, I imagine him saying, okay, God, what do you have? Man, I'm excited. It's the, 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 the voice of God speaking, a message from God. All right, God, what is it? And God says, Hosea, I want you, as the preacher, I want you to go marry a prostitute. Now, we've put ourselves in that position saying, like the mindset of Hosea to, it's kind of like Glenn. I'm sorry, my hearing aid's not on. <laughs> I, I can imagine Hosea, right? I can imagine Hosea there saying, um, I'm sorry, God. What did you say? God, I'm a, I'm a man of God. Lord, that, that's, not, that's not what I imagined. That's not the plan that I had set from my life. But when you read Hosea chapter one and verse number three, you find that Hosea obeyed. He went and he married Gomer. 
She was a prostitute given over to that life completely. The story would tell us that they would have one child together. Jezreel was his name. The name meant something. The name was actually prophetic. It was God saying to the children of Israel that he was going to allow destruction to come their way. Then uh, Gomer, she left off being faithful to her husband, Hosea, and she went back into that life of prostitution And she had two more children by two other men. The names of the two were Lo-Ruami and uh, Lo-Ami. One meaning rejection, one meaning isolation. Well, Gomer got herself so far engaged in this lifestyle that it got to the place that she was now not just a prostitute, but she was now enslaved in that lifestyle. And in Hosea chapter number three, God sends Hosea to literally go to the sin uh, crevices where his wife is now a slave to this prostitution lifestyle. And Hosea goes into that and he buys her back out of it. In the passage, Hosea chapter three, it leaves off from Hosea three. We leave the story of Hosea and Gomer. And God begins to paint a picture for Israel to help them understand this. Israel, you are like Gomer, and I am like Hosea. Israel, I, your God, have been faithful to you, but you, as the people of God, have been unfaithful to me. They would say, well, where have we been unfaithful? And God would say, you have committed spiritual adultery. Well, what is that? You have committed spiritual idolatry. You have allowed abominations to come in and creep into your life. And I want you to see something. And God from Hosea 4 all the way to 14 begins to lay before them all of their sin. He begins to lay before them the truth that there is, there is judgment because of your sin. But I want you to understand that the overwhelming um, theme, the overwhelming theme of the book of Hosea is not judgment. The overwhelming theme is not unfaithfulness. The overwhelming theme isn't even idolatry or adultery. No, the overwhelming theme of the entire book of Hosea is how much God loves his people. It's the overwhelming theme. Now, where we are in the middle of Hosea, it doesn't seem like the overwhelming theme. Honestly, when you read this, the overwhelming theme right in the middle is like God saying, you have failed me and I'm done and judgment's coming. But if we were to take the entire scope of the book of Hosea, or look at the entire picture of the book of Hosea, we would step back and say, wow, God loves his people. You see, we often could probably compare ourselves to the children of Israel. Well, how so, Pastor? Well, because we, like the children of Israel, we let God down. We commit idolatry. You say, Pastor, I don't have an idol shrine in my, in my, in my, my room. Some of you call my Broncos shrine a shrine. It's not an idol shrine, okay? Just so you know. 
we don't have, you know, you say, well, I don't have an idol. I don't have a graven image. Listen, idolatry for a Christian is not necessarily a graven image or uh, praying some prayers in a closet somewhere to some idol. No, idolatry for a Christian is when we allow anything to be put before God. Like when we allow our family to be before God, that's idolatry. When we put our work before God, it's idolatry. When I put the almighty dollar before God, it's idolatry. And God would help us understand the same thing that he would help the children of Israel understand in the book of Hosea is that when you do this, listen, you're missing out on the potential that I have for you. You're missing out on the fulfillment that only I can bring to you. But child of mine, I still love you. And that's the overwhelming theme. Aren't you thankful God continues to love you even when we act unlovable? Man, I'm so thankful for that. As we move into the middle of the, uh, the book of Hosea, I want you to see with me tonight that what we're going to discover God doing is as you uh, look through the ups and the downs of Israel's fellowship of God and the ups and the downs of their relationship with God and going to serving to idolatry, to serving God again, to abominations again, what we're going to do tonight is we're going to see that I believe what God does in Hosea 8 and 9 is he helps kind of pinpoint the problem, pinpoint the problem. Um, I've often mentioned that I grew up with sisters, two older sisters, Don and Dina, and I usually talk about the negative of growing up with two sisters, and there's a lot of negatives. But tonight I'm going to highlight one of the positives, all right? One of the positives, which actually is a negative anyway, but I'm going to say it's positive just because my one sister texted me two weeks ago and said, I listen to the messages now because they're on podcast, and so you better talk nice about me. So Dina, I'm talking nice about you right now if you hear this message. One of the things growing up with my sister Dina is uh, growing up, Dina was a very good basketball player. Did you hear that, Dina? I said you were very good. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Dina, was a, she was a good basketball player, and, and uh, I enjoyed going as just a, a little boy. I enjoyed going and watching my sister play basketball. And I remember, of course, my dad was an excellent basketball player, and so as a five and a six and a seven-year-old, uh, I would go to the church league and watch my dad play and try to go to the gym. And I remember I began at about, uh, really about four years old, probably trying to play basketball, but really about eight, nine, ten years old, I began playing on a basketball team, and I wasn't as good as Daniel Blim, and I wasn't as as good as, as Zach and Seth and others, but I would go and I would attempt to play basketball. And I remember that I'd be out in the driveway and I'd be practicing dribbling. And if you're learning to dribble between the legs, one of the best ways to do it is up against the wall. And so you, you take a step and put the ball against the wall and every, every step you're just trying to do that. And I remember with my sister, Dina, she would come out, she'd watch me play. And after I'd play for a few minutes, and it just would seem that, oh, man, every time I take that step, I, I can't get the ball through. I can't, I'd hit my knee, I'd hit my foot, and man, just, every, every time. And Dina would come out, she'd say, Dennis, 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 wait. I want to show you something. Okay, now here's what you need to do. I want to show you what you're doing wrong, because if you can find out what you're doing wrong, it'll help everything else fall into place. 
And I remember her teaching me a little bit of how to dribble and teaching me a little bit of how to shoot the basketball. But usually it was because I was doing one thing wrong over and over and over and over again. Now you've been there, maybe not with basketball, but have you ever done something over and over and over again? And you're like, ah, why can't I get this right? How many of you be honest, you found yourself like that. What do you need to do when you find yourself in that situation? You need, someone's like, you need to stop, yeah. <laughs> you need to pinpoint the problem. All right, let's find out why does this keep happening? Okay, children of Israel, up and down fellowship. Children of Israel, why does this keep happening? Why do you follow God and then commit idol idolatry? Why do you follow God and then allow something to be put before God? Why do you follow God and then fall away from him? Let's pinpoint the problem. I believe in Hosea 8 and 9, this is exactly what God does. We're gonna cover both chapters tonight, but to start, let's just begin reading the first three verses of chapter number eight. So stand with me if you would. Hosea chapter number eight. And I just wanna read the first three verses. And again, we're gonna preach through the entire passage and uh, try to cover this tonight. Hosea chapter eight, verse number one, the word of God says this, set the trumpet in thy mouth. This is God speaking to Hosea, saying to Hosea, set the trumpet. Hey, there's an alarm I wanna sound. There's something I want everybody to pay attention to. Here's what it is. Set the trumpet in th to thy mouth. He shall come as an eagle against the house of the Lord because they have transgressed my covenant and trespassed against my law. Israel shall cry unto me, my, uh, shall cry unto me, my God, we know thee. Israel hath cast off the thing that is good. The enemy shall pursue him. This is just starting right at the beginning. God saying, Hosea, set a trumpet to your mouth because I am coming to judge Israel. Why is he coming to judge Israel? Because Israel hath cast off the thing that is good. They've cast God to the side and the enemy shall pursue him. This is really just the start of this passage where I believe God is going to help us understand again the incredible detrimental decisions that Israel made. But all throughout this, these two chapters, we're gonna find God in three different places, three different places through three different ways of wording it pinpoint the problem of why Israel was so up and down. And I believe tonight that if we would allow the Lord to, I believe God could speak to us to help us understand that oftentimes when our life is up and down, following God, not following God, and just kind of living that way, I believe that we could pinpoint it to the same problem. And so I want you tonight to let's tune in and let God speak to us. And I ask you with your heads bowed and eyes closed, why don't you take a moment and just commit the next few minutes to the Lord and ask him to speak to you and to help your heart tonight. And ask God to help you to learn from him tonight, to learn his word about pinpointing maybe the times in your life when God is not where he should be. Lord, thank you again for the day. And I wanna pray right now that you would help us. I pray that you would speak to our hearts. I pray, God, that as we go into the word of God, that you would use this time to challenge us. Lord, help us to see that 
the problem that Israel had is often the problem that we have. And God, I pray that we'd make a decision tonight based on that truth. We love you. Thank you for your love. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You go ahead and be seated. As we come and as we work through the message tonight, I want us to start by noticing a few things that Israel had failed in and a few things that God kind of showed them, hey, you are, you are uh, failing in this area. I want you to see, first of all, that Israel had failed to remember what I'm calling a firm truth. They had failed to remember uh, this, this firm truth. What is that? Go to verse number one of chapter eight, and actually we'll skip down to verse number four. We've already read the first three verses. Notice what Hosea continues to say. They have set up kings. This is God speaking. They have set up kings, but not by me. They have made princes, and I knew it not. Of their silver and their gold have they made them idols, that they may be cut off. Thy calf, O Samaria, hath uh, cast thee off. Mine anger is kindled, kindled against them. How long will it be ere they attain to innocence? For from Israel was it also the workmen made it. Therefore, it is not God, but the calf of Samaria shall be broken in pieces. For they have sown the wind, and they will reap the whirlwind. It hath no stock, the bud uh, shall yield no meal. If so be it yield, the stranger shall swallow it up. Israel is swallowed up. Now shall they be among the Gentiles as a vessel wherein is no pleasure. Now, really, I don't need to elaborate on that at all. It makes complete sense, doesn't it? That was facetious, just if you didn't catch it. Man, when we read through this, it's like, all right, I'm not living back then, so what is God saying? In these first eight verses, I believe it can be summarized by the first statement of verse number seven. Notice the very first statement of verse number seven. They have sown the wind, and they will reap the whirlwind. The whirlwind. You see, what Israel had done is they had neglected a firm and an unchanging truth. What is that truth? They had neglected what we call the law of the harvest. What is the law of the harvest? The law of the harvest is simply you reap what you sow. Well, what had they done? Verse number three tells us they had cast off the good, and because of that, the enemy would pursue them. Verse number four through six tells us that Israel had set up leaders without the counsel of God, and they had continued down idolatry. They had continued uh, making the, the fatted calf, the silver and the gold, had they made them idols that they may be cut off, and they had sown to their flesh their desires, and the repercussions of them sowing to their own desires was going to be far worse than they had imagined. Look at verse number eight when you see the repercussions uh, in one statement. Israel is swallowed up. Now shall they be among the Gentiles as a vessel wherein is no pleasure. Hey, Israel, because you forgot about this firm truth, this law of sowing and reaping that you sowed to the flesh, you continued following idolatry, you set up princes without seeking me, because you lived life without me, you're gonna be just a, a byword of history. You say, what is he saying? He says they're gonna be swallowed up. They're gonna be, they're gonna be completely consumed but even further than that, he says, you're going to be a disgust 
to the Gentiles. Well, why would this happen? It's because they had forgotten the law of the harvest. The fact of the matter is this, that for the children of Israel, it is really not, and for us as well, and we'll see it, it is really not an equal and fair trade when it comes to reaping and sowing. You see, the children of Israel, they thought this, and we'll see their attitude in just a minute. What's the big thing that we set up kings without seeking God? What's the big thing that we make uh, affinity with the Assyrians and with Egypt? What's the big thing that we, and here's God saying, hey, at the time you thought it was something small, but I'm gonna show you that what you sow, you will reap tenfold. Doesn't nature even teach us that? How many of you have a garden? You have a garden of some sort or a plant of some sort. There's some people here, man, you do, do tomatoes or strawberries or uh, we've got folks in our church that have watermelons and, and pumpkins. And you know what you do? If you take one little seed, like a corn seed, you take one seed and you put it in the ground and you water it and you do everything you're supposed to, is only one more seed gonna come up? No. Man, it's gonna produce multiplied amounts from what you put in the ground. This is what God is getting at. They sowed the wind. They sowed small, but they're gonna reap the whirlwind. They had forgotten about the law of the harvest. Did you know the same is true spiritually? Galatians 6, 7 says this, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. God will not be mocked. He is going to allow you to sow whatever you sow. He's going to bring that to fruition in your life. You see, God's not going to be mocked that you can sow and not have something come back and affect you. No, the law of the harvest is you may sow to the wind, sow the wind, but you'll reap the whirlwind. But can I just say this tonight, that it is not just the bad seeds that reap the whirlwind. We look at the book of Hosea and we can easily say, man, Hosea sowed to sin, or uh, Israel sowed to sin, and because of that, man, all of these judgments are coming upon them. That's the bad side, but don't we know it to be true in Scripture that if we reap to the Spirit, if we, if we sow to the Spirit, if we sow spiritual things, we shall also reap spiritual things. And here's the truth, that if you and I sow good, if we sow uh, good thoughts, and if we sow uh, good truths in our life, that just like the harvest of the bad is going to come back greater, even so is the harvest of the good going to come back greater. So there's a good challenge here. There's a good thought here about this firm truth. What's the firm truth? The law of sowing and reaping. See, they had sowed to the flesh and they were now going to be swallowed up and be a disgust among the Gentiles. May we learn from this. God, help me not sow to the flesh. Help me to put into my life the good things. Why? Because I know the law of sowing and reaping is true with the bad and it's true with the good. You see, whatever we put, whatever we put down into the ground, we're going to get. And Israel, they had neglected this principle. They had neglected the firm truth of sowing and reaping. But Israel made another mistake. What was their other mistake? That they made a mistake of desiring false 
acceptance. They made the mistake of desiring false acceptance. Look with me at verse number nine. <clears throat> verse nine and 10. <clears throat> it says, for they are gone up to Assyria, a wild ass alone by himself. Ephraim hath hired lovers. Yea, though they have hired among the nations, now will I gather them. And they shall sorrow a little for the burden of the king of princes. You see, here's what Israel had done in their <clears throat> excuse me, in their haste away from God, they begin to make what we call affinity with the, uh, the tribes or the, the people of the lands where they were at. They begin to go to Assyria and they begin to go to Egypt and they begin to uh, seek out what we're calling the acceptance of others. Here's what Israel did. You go and read it in the book of Joshua. They went into the land and God said, I want you to be mine and mine alone. But they went into the land and they begin to go around to other people in the land and they begin to go around to the nations that were by them. And they attempted to please all of those people before they obeyed God. They attempted to have that acceptance of others and they went out to others, but God's helping them understand it wasn't what you thought. They attempted to go and find the acceptance with neighboring communities. And here's the truth of what they did. They desired the acceptance of others rather than the blessings of God. Man, this false acceptance they were interested in pleasing people and making a name for themselves instead of interested in pleasing God and lifting up his name. You see, we can do this too, can't we? We become interested in what people think about us rather than how we're reflecting God to this world. I'm reminded when I was studying and thinking about this, I was reminded of Demas in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 10 where it says, Paul wrote, Demas hath forsaken me having loved this present world. He loved the life of this culture. He loved the influence that he had here. And so Demas forsook the things of God to embrace the things of the world. And here's what the Bible says about Moses in the book of Hebrews, that he chose rather he chose the affliction with God's people rather than the pleasures of sin for a season. But that does not describe the children of Israel in most of their history. They sought for a false acceptance. And when you and I become desirous of the acceptance of those around us, rather than the desire of pleasing the one within us, we're making the same mistake that Israel made. What had Israel done? Israel, they had neglected the firm truth, the truth of sowing and reaping. What had they done? They had made the mistake of desiring false acceptance. And because of that, it led them into making the mistake of what we call fake worship. Fake worship. Go to verse number 11 of our passage in Hosea chapter 8. It says, Because Ephraim hath made many altars to sin, altars shall be unto him to sin. I have written to him the great things of my law, but they were counted as a strange thing. They sacrificed flesh for the sacrifices of mine offerings and eat it, but the Lord accepteth them not. Now will he remember their iniquity and visit their sins. They shall return to Egypt. Whenever we read, and I said this a few weeks ago in our series, we read the, the term of Ephraim. This is also talking about Israel. And so here's what is being said about uh, Israel in these verses that they had worshiped God 
how they wanted to worship God. They worshiped God on their terms. All right, <clears throat> where do we see this in Israel's history? Let's go all the, back, all the way back to Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel to sin. What had he done? He had set up two altars. You see, God said, I want you to worship in Jerusalem and at these certain times of the year. But because of convenience, Jeroboam said, no, 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 we'll set up an altar in Dan, the northern side of Israel, and then we'll set up an altar in Bethel or Bethel, the house, we'll set up one there because it'll be more convenient for us to worship God on our terms. Here's what Israel had done. They had told themselves that they were worshiping God on his terms when in reality, they were worshiping God the way they wanted to. Jeroboam started this process and it led the people to a fake and a false worship. Verse number 11, it says they created altars to sin. And so God said to them, he said, altars shall be, or many, they've created many altars to sin. Altars shall be unto him to sin. God's saying, hey, I am going to multiply this mistake. And if you look throughout Israel's history, history, all of this book of Hosea is very prophetic in rehearsing, <coughs> excuse me, in rehearsing the children of Israel's history, that what they had done <coughs> is they had attempted to worship on their own. And God said, well, my hands are off. Go ahead. And time and time and time again, we see Israel worshiping God on their terms and they caused worship, their worship, they caused it to be a literal act of sin. So here they were worshiping, trying to worship the one true God. They were doing it with a molten calf in a place that God had not said. And so they literally were worshiping God, but every time they were worshiping God, they were sinning because they were doing it on their terms. Did you know we can do the same thing? We can worship God on our terms. Well, how do we know they worship God on their terms? Well, verse number 12 tells us why they did it. It's because God had given them the law, but what they do? They rejected it. God had told them, here's how I want you to worship, but they rejected it. Look at verse 12. Don't miss it. Look at it. He says, I have written to him the great things of my law, but they were counted as a strange thing. I told them what I wanted, but they ignored it. They rejected the word and God was saying, hey, listen, I have given them what I wanted. Verse number 13, I told them the way I want them to sacrifice, but they're sacrificing their own way. And because of that, I am not going to receive it. It says, uh, but the Lord accepteth them not, accepteth the sacrifices not. Why? Because they were doing this on their own terms. Can I tell you that one of the surest ways that we find ourselves like Israel is when we, like they do, worship God on our own terms. You say, pastor, how can I worship God on my own terms? It's when we just go through the motions with no heart. 
And so many Christians, we get stuck in, in, in just uh, that uh, type, type of Christianity that's just mundane and it's just routine Christianity and we just get up and, and we kind of just go through reading our Bible because we feel like we have to. And we go through the day uh, trying to say, all right, God, help me not to sin. And then we come and we do the checklist of being at church. And, and uh, man, I preach this often. Why? Because many of us can fall into that. We can fall in. What, is, what are we doing when we do that? We're worshiping God in our way. And it makes our worship sin before God. When I worship God with the wrong motives, it's sin. Do you believe that? Man, here's what, here's what God said to the, Jesus said to the churches in, in Revelation. He said, hey, you're not warm and you're not hot. You're lukewarm. And because you're lukewarm, I spew you out of my mouth. God said, listen, that type of worship, it is disgusting to me. And this is where Israel was. That's a tough place to be, isn't it? Man, how should I worship God? Well, I should worship God with my lips and my heart. Here's what God had said about that fake worship in Matthew 15, 8. He said this, this people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. He was describing the Pharisees at that time, but really that verse could be applied to the nation of Israel in all of their history. Man, what a place to be. They had fallen into fake worship and the reason they had fallen into fake worship is identified for us in verse number 14. It's because they forgot God. Notice the first few words of verse 14. For Israel hath forgotten his maker. The word for there, it means because. Hey, they've gone into false worship. Why have they gone into false worship? Because Israel has forgotten the maker. They had forgotten the truth like we looked at this morning that he is God. And because they forgot their maker, the end of the verse, God says, I will send a fire upon his cities and it shall devour the palaces thereof. Because they had forgot their maker and they were worshiping falsely and because uh, they were allowing themselves to just fall back into this carnality of trying to get that uh, fake acceptance and false acceptance from other uh, people, God says, I'm going to allow destruction to come their way. Did you know that God had warned them about this? We don't have time to read the passage, but go look it up. Write it down, Deuteronomy 8, uh, 10 through 20. God had warned the people of Israel saying, hey, if you forget me, if you forget me, remember that you reap what you sow. If you forget me, you need to remember that the blessings of this life will depart as you know it. And that was God and the children of Israel. Israel had gone into that pagan worship. Why? Because they forgot who their God was. And the truth in our life is that we often begin to live our life the way we want because we forget who our God is. I'm not going to preach it again. We looked at it this morning, but when we remember he's in control, when we remember who he is, it affects how we live. When I remember that my God is holy, it affects my, my life. When I remember that he is right, it affects me. When I remember that he is alive and with me, it affects me. When I remember that he's the one who has guidance for every decision I make, it's going to affect me. But when I forget it, I begin to live life on my terms. And that's exactly what Israel had done. 
Israel, they had neglected the firm truth. What's the truth? Sowing and reaping. Israel made the mistake of desiring a false acceptance. They wanted the acceptance of the people rather than pleasing God. They had fallen into fake worship. Why? Because they had forgotten God. But through all of this, I want you to see in chapter 9 that Israel had a foolish attitude. They had a foolish attitude. Look at verse, chapter 9 and verse number 1. We won't read the first. It's in the first uh, nine verses, but look at verse number 1. God says, Rejoice not, O Israel, for joy as other people, for thou hast gone a-whoring from thy God. Thou hast love a reward upon every corn floor. Look at verse number three. They shall not dwell in the Lord's land, but Ephraim shall return to Egypt, and they shall eat unclean things in Assyria. They shall not offer wine offerings to the Lord, neither shall they be pleasing unto him. Their sacrifices shall be unto them as the bread of mourners, all that... Excuse me, all that eat thereof shall be polluted, for their bread, for their soul, shall not come into the house of the Lord. You say, Pastor, what is he saying? Go down to verse number eight. He says this about the prophets the watchman of Ephraim was with my God, but the prophet is a snare of a fowler in all his ways and hatred in the house of his God. They have deeply corrupted themselves. As in the days of Gibeah, therefore he will remember their iniquity. He will visit their sins. <clears throat> in these first nine verses of chapter number nine, God is describing the attitude of the children of Israel. It's identified for us specifically in verse number one. God comes and he says to them, Rejoice not, O Israel, for joy as the people. Well, why would, he, why would God say this through Hosea? If we were to go back, and again, we don't have time to do it, but we were to go back to Joshua and Judges and, and go into 1st and 2nd Samuel and 1st and 2nd Kings and 1st and 2nd Chronicles, if we were to do that, what we would find is the children of Israel committing idolatry and committing that spiritual adultery against God and, and time and time and time again uh, going away from God. But every time they did it, we find them rejoicing. We find them not caring about the man of God. How about this? <coughs> Excuse me, I'm sorry. I've got a cough stuck that it's just staying there, so it'll be there for a while. Uh, how about this? You go back to the book of Exodus. Joshua and Moses are on the mountain. Aaron and the people made a molten calf. And Joshua up on the mountain says to Moses, what is that music I hear? It's not music of worship, but it's music of war. And they go down and they find the people having committed idolatry, making a calf and bowing down to it, and they were partying it up. That's what they were doing. That attitude is what's being described right here in the book of Hosea because that was Israel's attitude often. They would sin against God, and yet they would act like nothing was the matter. They would go against God, and yet they would pretend <coughs> they would pretend like there was nothing going on. They were celebrating sin, and verse 1 down through verse number 6, uh, it's like the Lord is saying, why are you so joyful when you are acting so rebellious against God? Verse 7, the days of recompense are here. The day of judgment is here, and the attitude of the people, it was, so what? 
They just had this celebration towards sin and they were, they were not caring about what God says. And can I tell you that not caring about what God says is a very, very, very dangerous place to be. I know if we got uh, my dad to come up here and tell us stories of 48 years of ministry, that he would have similar stories to what I already have in just the last eight years of pastoring. I can tell you there have been times when someone will come and they'll say, Pastor, we need some counseling, whether it's a marriage or just a single individual or with a teenager or with kids or whatever the case might be. And they'll begin to... <clears throat> tell me the situation and the, and the problem. And a few minutes into it, I, I maybe just because of the word of God can identify, well, can I help you out with something? Yeah, pastor, that's what we want. In all honesty, in this area, God says, do this. And you need to do that. Let's, let's, take, let's, let's make it specific just to help us. Let's go with gossip, okay? Gossiping, people that just go out and talk about other people. Someone says to me, I, I, I have a problem with gossiping. I say, all right, well, you need to understand that gossiping, it's against the Bible. It's against the word of God. And they say, and I've had people say this, I don't care. I don't care that God is against that. I've had people, I'll say, uh, I'll say to them, I'll say, you know, the Bible says this, and literally I can recall in my office standing, in my office I can still picture it, someone saying these words to me, I don't care what the word of God says. I'm going to continue living the way I want to live, and I don't care. Now we sit and we hear that and we go, wow, whoa, what a place to be. <clears throat> Can I help us understand something? That when you and I continue in sin, what we're saying, not with our mouth, but with our actions is, I don't care. That's exactly where Israel was. They had a careless attitude about the sin in their life and God says, why are you rejoicing in this? Rejoice not. They had that foolish attitude. <clears throat> Here's Israel with a foolish attitude and into all this sin. And because of that, Hosea chapter 9, verse 10 down through 17 tells us about a fierce judgment. We're not going to read it all, but <clears throat> look with me at verse number, verse number 10. God says, I found Israel like grapes in the wilderness. I saw your fathers as the first, uh, first ripe in the fig tree at her first time, but they went unto Baal Peor and separated themselves unto that shame, and their abominations were according as they loved. As for Ephraim, their glory shall fly away like a bird from the birth and from the womb and from thy conception. Though they bring up their children, yet will I bereave them that there shall not be a man left. Yea, woe also to them when I depart from them. Ephraim, as I saw Tyrus, is planted in a pleasant place, but Ephraim shall bring forth his children to the murderer. We could continue reading. We won't for time's sake, but if you... 
if you were to go, you would understand that here's what God is saying in those passages. He's saying again, repeating what he's already previously said in chapter number four, chapter number six, chapter number seven, and chapter number eight. He's saying this, hey, listen, you have gone too far. And because of that, I'm going to allow your sin to catch up to you. In this passage, and I wish we had the time to do it, in this passage, what we find him saying is, it's a blessing to bring, at this time, it was a blessing for people to have children. He's saying the judgment's gonna be so bad that people are going to wish they didn't have children because you don't want your kids to experience the judgment I'm bringing. And I am going to bereave their children. I'm going to allow, verse number 13, their children to be born and given over to the murderers. I am going to literally allow judgment to consume my people. Man, that's a pretty deep thing, isn't it? Man, for God to say that? Could you see why someone would look at the middle of the book of Hosea and be like, there's no love here. There's no mercy here. But can I remind you of a New Testament truth that if God didn't allow punishment, it would be a sign of not loving. Because whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, he correcteth. Why? Why does a parent discipline their child? Man, because I, not because I hate them. No, because I love them because I want them to know right and wrong and be able to understand there are consequences. Let's, let's refocus here. And here's God saying to them, there's gonna be a fierce judgment. God had enough and judgment, it was coming. <clears throat> well, at the beginning of this message, we said that in this passage, we would find God pinpointing the problem. I believe that in this passage, we, three, we see God pinpoint the problem through three different phases. Phrases, not phases, phrases, put an R in there. And I want you to see that the problem with the children of Israel is this, they had forsaken their love. What had led the children of Israel to go down this road of, uh, of idolatry and what had led them to go to this fake worship and what had led them to go down this road where they were just doing their own thing and what led them to forget God, what led them down this is that they forsook loving God. Where do we see this? Go to chapter 8. <clears throat> and verse number nine, we see some phrases. And verse number nine, we see this phrase. We see that they hired lovers. Chapter eight and verse number nine, notice what it says. For they are gone up to Assyria, wild ass alone by himself. Ephraim hath hired lovers. That phrase hired lovers, it speaks about this, that they had replaced their love for God with a fake love for the false nations. They were loving the company of the false nations of the pagan nations more than they were loving the company of God. They were loving the eyes of the people more than they were loving the presence of God. They hired lovers. They began to have this fake love. Eight, nine, they hired lovers. Look at nine, one, it says this, that they loved a reward. 
For thou hast gone a whoring from thy God, thou hast loved a reward upon every corn floor. What is this? They were loving things more than loving God. They were interested in what they could get now and the pleasures now, and they were more interested in that rather than a right relationship with God. But I believe the key verse that helps us see that they had forsaken their love is chapter nine and verse number 10. When we read this, it says, but they went unto Baal Peor and separated themselves unto that, that shame, and notice the phrase, and their abominations were according as they loved. Their abominations, all of their mistakes, all of their sins, all of their transgressions against God were happening according as they had loved. Does that phrase make sense? Why had they done all this? Because they loved people and things more than they loved God. <clears throat> You've heard the saying, you are what you eat. You heard that? You are what you, how many of your parents said that to you? You are what you eat. Now, I don't necessarily know how true that is, but I do know a statement that is true. It's a concept, a principle, and it's this, that you become what you love. You become what you love. What do you mean by that? <clears throat> you become consumed with what you love. What you love is going to eat up your life. I believe that through this passage that God is pinpointing the sin of the children of Israel, specifically in that phrase, because they have done, their abominations were according to what they loved or as they loved. You know where Israel really went wrong? You wanna know why they neglected that firm truth of, of the law of the harvest? Why they made the mistake of desiring a false acceptance and going to others? Why they fell into that fake worship and why they forgot God and why they had a foolish attitude and why they now were facing that fierce judgment? It is all because they had forsaken loving God. That's why. What is it that God said in Revelation chapter two? He said this, nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee. Why? Why does God have something against this church there, the church at Ephesus? Why does he have something against them? Because you have left your first love. You wanna know what's at the basis of the book of Hosea is God's love for the people and the people's loss of love for God. That's what idolatry is, when I love something else more than I love God. Well, <clears throat> pastor, it really, you know, it's probably not that bad of a thing. I mean, it's my family. I'm supposed to love my family. It's all right if I, if I put them before God. It's not that big of a deal. I would beg to differ. Why? Because that's idolatry. Loving something more than I love God 
man, God says, hey, be careful because you might sow to the wind, but you'll reap the whirlwind. So what lesson could we learn from this chapters eight and chapter nine of Hosea? Can I tell you that what you and I could learn from this is understanding this truth that what you love has the potential of taking your heart away from God faster than anything else. And when you stop growing in your love for God, you find yourself drifting further and further and further away from God. This is why we read verses like our theme verse in Mark when it says that the greatest command is to love God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The greatest command is allow a love for him to consume your life. It's because you become what you love. Well, then the question is, how can I love, how, how can I put my love where it needs to be? Very quickly, let me tell you this. Some ways that you and I can grow in our love with him is remember that love is spelled T-I-M-E. You're gonna spend time with people you love. You wanna know why a lot of marriages fail? It's because they don't spend time together. You'll spend time with what you love. You wanna know why a lot of Christians drift away from God? Because they stop spending time with him. Believer, I don't wanna end up where Israel was. I don't want to be there. So how can I protect it? Protect my love. Spend time with him. What else should I do? Man, work to draw close to him. Man, if I'm spending time with him, I'm probably going to be drawing close to him. But I got to work at it. You say, how do you work at drawing close to God? Every relationship takes work. Every relationship takes sacrifice. Okay, I'll work to draw close to God by doing more. No. Work to draw close to God by spending more time with him. <laughs> Work to draw close to God by being in his word. And there's so much we could do and we could say about this, but loving God, how do I do it? Spend time with him, draw close to him. You know how else we can grow in our love for God is by honoring him. Man, by honoring him, by giving him the honor and the respect and the authority in my life that he deserves. How else can I love God? By obeying him. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, obey me. Man, this is how we're just, we're just trying to learn. How do I not end up where Israel was? And <clears throat> here's Hosea looking to, to his wife, Gomer, and saying, you forsook me because you loved me or loved others. You forgot about me because you forgot to love me. And here's God looking to Israel saying, listen, the reason you have gone this way, your abominations, it's because you loved those things more than you loved me. How can I stop that from happening in my life? Spend time with him. Draw closer to him. Honor him. Obey him. Share him. What does that do? It helps you grow in love with him. Man, I remember when I was first married, I didn't walk into a room and go, oh yeah, that's my wife. Oh yeah, she's with me. Man, no, usually when you're newlyweds, you walk in arm in arm and you're like, hey, did you meet my wife? Hey, have you, have you met my wife? 
hey, did, did, if I let you know that I married her, man, you're telling everybody. Why? Because I'm proud that she's married to me and because I love her. Why would I want to tell people about the Lord? Because it's only going to help grow my love. Man, I love him, so I want people to know about him. But the best way, and it's kind of repetitious, but the best way that we grow in our love with him is abide in him. That interesting, that, that word abide, I preached a message a number of years ago, and I forget, I think it was out of John 15, uh, maybe in a, in a couple other passages, but the word abide is an interesting word. That word abide, Jim, it means to, uh, it means to feel completely comfortable uh, dwelling in. Um, it's like, you know, when you go home tonight, you'll abide at your house. It doesn't just mean you stay there. I, I've gone and stayed at hotels, but I'm not abiding at the hotel. When you abide at your house, here's what you'll do if you're like me tonight when we get done with service. Maybe I'll grab a bite to eat or, or go home and eat. But you know what I'm going to do is I'm going to go home and I'm going to go into uh, the, the closet, walk-in closet, and I'm going to uh, change clothes. I'm going to put on a pair of shorts and a T-shirt. And then I'll probably go and maybe I'll get an ice cream sandwich or a bowl of ice cream. Maybe it'll be chocolate chip cookie dough or chocolate peanut butter ice cream, listen, they are going to have that in heaven. <laughs> I'm just telling you right now, Reese's peanut butter cups are going to, it, that, that was actually, it's in the Greek, that was manna. That's what it was. I'm gonna get a bowl of ice cream, maybe. I'm just telling you what maybe I might do. And some of you are gonna be like, did you eat a bowl of ice cream? And I'll be like, maybe not. But I'm gonna get a bowl of ice cream or ice cream sandwich and I'm gonna sit down and then I'll probably grab the remote and turn on the TV and watch a movie with Hannah. We'll talk about the day and you know, I'll probably do is I'll probably sit in my bed and watch TV. And how I sit in my bed is not gonna be right on the edge like this. No, when I sit in my bed, I'm gonna sit down and lean up, put the pillow behind me, put my legs out, hold that remote, get my bowl of ice cream, pull the covers up, and you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna be comfortable. In my shorts and my T-shirt, just sitting there. Hannah can be there or she can't be. I'm just gonna be, I'm gonna be comfortable. I'm just, gonna, I'm just gonna hang out. Monday's my day off. You know what I like to do on Mondays? Sleep in. I'll get up and eat a big old bowl of cereal, preferably peanut butter Captain Crunch if we have it. <laughs> Anything with peanut butter, I'll eat. Well, I don't know, fish, fish with peanut butter I haven't had yet. Quinn, could we do that sometime? Tom on Mondays and I'll, you know what I might do? I might walk around the house in my shorts and my T-shirt and I might go out and do something. I might change into some work clothes. And here's what I'm getting at. At my house, I'm comfortable. I can walk in any room. I can close any door. I can open any door. I can turn on any light. I can get food out of the fridge. I can get food out of the freezer. I, can, I could, if I wanted to, go sleep in any bed. I'm gonna sleep in mine because it's the biggest and most comfortable. <laughs> Why? I'm comfortable. I abide there. Do you wanna know why a lot of Christians stop loving God? It's because they stop being comfortable around him. Here's why. They close that door of their heart and say, no, God, you can't have that room. 
they go to the garage and pull the garage door and lock that outside door and say, no, God, you, you can't go in the garage of my heart. And they stop being comfortable with their maker. That's the word abide. Abide in him. Be comfortable in him and allow him to be comfortable in you. Why? Because it just grows my love for my maker. You know, when I read Hosea 8 and Hosea 9, I'm like, wow, God was pretty upset. God, how could I stop myself from getting there? And I have three words that I want to give you tonight that I want to encourage you with this week. Hear what they are. Here's what they are. Protect your love. Protect your love. Watch who you're loving this week. Watch who you're spending time with and spending time with him, more importantly, this week. Watch how you're obeying God this week. Watch how you're honoring him this week. Abide in him this week. Why? It's just gonna help me love my Savior. And if I'm loving my Savior, man, I don't have to worry about all that other stuff. Can I tell you this tonight? When you and I, when we get to the end of our life, if we look back and we say, wow, there was some mistakes, there was some sin, the reason that sin is there will have been because we lost our love. But maybe tonight you're here and maybe you haven't loved God for the first time yourself. You say, well, what does that mean? I want to ask you a question. If you were to die today, are you 100% sure you'd go to heaven? Well, pastor, I go to church. Church doesn't get you to heaven. Well, I've been baptized. That doesn't get you to heaven. No, what gets you to heaven is understanding that Jesus loves you and he desires to be in your life. And if you're here and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, can I tell you, that's where your love for God starts is by asking Jesus to forgive you of your sin, to come into your life, and to be your Savior. It's called putting your faith and trust in him and him alone. And if you're here tonight and you've never done that, you've never asked Jesus Christ to be your Savior, that's where your love for him starts. If you do know Christ as your Savior tonight, would you make the decision, I'm gonna protect my love. I'd like every head bowed and every eye closed, and we're gonna move into an invitation time, a time to respond back to God as he's spoken to us. And <clears throat> I just wanna ask you tonight a couple of questions. If you're here and you'd be honest, you'd say, Pastor Dennis, I don't know if I died today that I'm going to heaven. I don't know that. I, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not gonna call you by name. I'm not gonna embarrass you. But I would like to pray for you. If that's you, Pastor Dennis, would you pray for me? I don't know if I died today that I'm going to heaven. No one's looking around. If that's you, would you slip your hand right up and right back down? Pastor Dennis, would you pray for me? I don't know if I died today I'm going to heaven. Just right up and right back down. I'm not gonna embarrass you. I just wanna pray for you. Now maybe you hear you say, Pastor Dennis, I know for sure I'm going to heaven. I've received Christ as my Savior. Why don't you slip your hand up and right back down? Pastor, I know I'm going to heaven. Now that's you. Listen, if you raised your hand, you know for sure you're going to heaven. Will you make a decision this week to protect your love? But if you're here and you just raised your hand that you don't know you're going to heaven, or maybe you didn't raise your hand, but you don't know that, 
Listen, we're gonna have what's called an invitation and I invite you to come. Someone will take a Bible. If you're a lady, we'll pair you up with another lady. They'll take you to a counseling room and show you from the word of God how you can know you're going to heaven. If you're a man, we'll pair you up with another man. He'll take the word of God, take the Bible and show you, sir, how you could know for sure that heaven is where you'd spend eternity. Regardless of what decision we need to make tonight, let's make our decision. Let's make it tonight. If you need Christ as your savior, make that decision If you know Christ, let's make the decision to protect our love. God, I pray that you bless our invitation. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this message. If you would like further information about our church, please visit moseslakebaptistchurch.com.